0: Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the special holiday season episodes of the Practice of Learning Teams. In episode 13 and 15, I'm joined by Bob Edwards and Andrea Baker on the learning of learning teams. I've known Bob and Andy for a number of years now, and I respect the work they do with Dr. Todd Conklin and training HOP and learning teams and supporting organisations on their HOP journey. In this special two-part series, we explore the learning of learning teams and our shared experiences in our own development and the development of others. From the hosts of the podcast series, myself, Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson, we hope you enjoy the series and that 2021 will be a great year for building a better community of practice. We will return on the 6th of January with a special MIDI Learning Team episodes on dynamic risk and learning teams. From all of us to you, please take care and see you in 2021. Okay, welcome Bob and Andrea to the Practice of Learning Team podcast series. And good afternoon, and of course, it's good morning from here. So thank you very much for participating with today. It's our
1: pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us, Brent.
0: No, oh, look, it's, it's really good. And uh, I met you guys, uh, it would be two years ago when I came up to Denver that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we, uh, well, in, in case of Todd, it was the House of Dank, I think, the thing he remembers the most. <laughs> yeah, across the street. I right. believe
1: across the street, the House of Dankness, I believe. Yeah,
0: yeah, or, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds uh, right. Fascinating. Let, let, let's choose a venue in the middle of nowhere. All right. Um, <laughs> it, has a very, it has a specialty store next door.
2: Where they, yeah, I think yeah. they gave out like discount coupons or something for.
0: People that stayed in the
2: hotel. I remember that. <laughs>
0: That's right. no, it's always fascinating. And uh, really, uh, you were the first two people that uh, I went through uh, training, both from a, a Hop fundamentals perspective and also an introduction to learning teams. And it's fair to say that that both of you are, are well recognised as being, um, you know, uh, key advocates both for learning teams and also for um, Hop at the same time. And. Uh, in, in the book that we wrote, we really have talked about separating learning teams from HOP as such. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, learning teams is all about worker engagement or stakeholder engagement. It's about seeing things. So maybe we'd kick off first by talking about um, your journey coming into learning teams. How did that start? Go ahead, and Bob, you, no,
1: you start like us off, Bob, like a white Bob. Bob's memory is much better than mine is. So he, he helped tongue,
0: my, my memory. A
2: white, was it color? <laughs> you know, when you get old, your memory of times past is good, but your recent memory is terrible. Like, I don't know what I had for breakfast, but I can tell you about when I, yeah. So, so when Con- Todd Conklin, you know, first came to our site, we were an early adopter of HOP. And when he was teaching us about it, this was like 2013, um, we had an incident happen there, and I explained to him what had happened, and he said, you know, this might be a good opportunity for, for trying out something different than your investigation process. So he introduced us to this idea of bringing workers together to learn about, their, about the event, to kind of get that deeper story. And so we did, and when we did that, we had a whole different – we learned a lot of different things than we did from our traditional investigation, which was sort of a five-wise approach, if you will. And so that was my first introduction to it. And I, I started looking at it going, well, this makes a lot more sense. It doesn't feel heavy handed. It was hard for me because I was so used to doing the old way. To I didn't just like switch immediately, but I began to sort of experiment with it and try it out. I think you guys have done a lot of the same stuff, Brent, where you've just, you just try some of this stuff out. And because I'm so steep, I'm an engineer and, and a huge continuous improvement believer, I started realizing not only is this the best group ever to help us understand how things happen, they're also maybe the best group ever to help us come up with ideas on how to make it better. And so the two of those kind of came together in what we refer to as a a learning team. And we, I mean, it is tied nicely to HOP because of the five key principles, but it absolutely can be done as as a employee engagement sort of activity. Although I will say this, we still have to, I think, have some of the basic understandings of... We may learn some stuff we didn't know we were going to learn, so we have to be okay with that and be thankful that we're learning it, and we learned that early on. No punishment comes from a learning team because if you find out that somebody didn't do something right and then you punish them for it after you've asked them to be open and honest, well, then they're not going to ever do it again. So this notion of sort of psychological safety became really apparent Uh, pretty early on for us. So that was kind of my beginning. And then it just started to grow and it moved beyond safety into quality, into operations, right? When bad things happen, we just wanted to go learn. And then it started to grow into spaces like, you know, we study successful work as much as anything else now, because we find the same sort of conditions out there in successful work that we find when there's a failure, but we find it before the failure. So it's just kind of grown as we've done it very, I think very similar. And by the way, your book does a nice job of like talking through a lot of this stuff. Uh, really, really proud of the work that you guys did uh, with your book there too, Rem. Look,
0: well, thank you. And, and look, all, all we're trying to do is really share a narrative. Around yeah, and, yeah, and you d- you've
1: done a great, you know, great job with that. And uh, so Bob, if I remember, when Bob says his site, I wasn't lucky enough to be at the same site as Bob at the time. So we worked for the same company, but we were in two different parts of the business. And so Bob, I guess the first time that, I heard about learning teams by the name was when you and Todd came to our location to talk about learning teams. Talk about first, you know, so hot fundamentals and then and then learning teams and-
2: Was that training any good by any chance?
1: Uh, I think so. I asked somebody who was
2: gonna- <laughs> I was makes right, a joke because that was the
0: first <laughs> thing that I heard me say. <laughs> I was standing, Is that
2: the I was, I was standing in the area near Andrea Baker I did not know her at the time, and I heard someone say, hey, you got to go to that hop training, and she she looked at them, and she said, was it any good? Was first thing good. she ever said about me. First yep. thing
1: Bob ever heard me say was, was the training any good, um, and so I, I heard I heard Bob talking about learning teams, and I was very intrigued, because it, it felt similar to some of the things that I had been trying to do around um, reshaping our investigation, so similar to Bob, the first place that it seemed logical to start using this concept was to do something differently than we had been doing with investigations because investigations just didn't feel right anymore. You know, they don't align with top principles. It just it felt like the wrong thing to do. So we were desperately trying to figure out ways of doing it differently. And I had been calling them doing investigations differently, I think was, I think was what I've been calling them. I didn't really have a name for anything and Bob started to put some words to what we were doing. And so then very quickly, I kept picking his brain and uh, you know, was just asking, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And we started to sort of experiment with learning teams um, by that name and realized at some point that we probably needed a way to figure out how to explain what they were to other people and so started to try to put a little bit of structure around what we were doing in the conversation. Um, yeah, so that was probably about a year, maybe after you originally worked with Todd, Bob, right? That, that you and I met. So so that's kind of the where we started, Brent. You know, it's not a super exciting story, but it's-
2: <laughs> Wait, I think it's really exciting. Oh,
1: okay, so hey, it's an exciting story. That's what I meant to say, it's a super exciting story. Yeah,
0: <laughs> super exciting. No, I, I, I sort of feel that, that uh, a learning team is about giving it a go.
2: Yeah, okay?
0: because Absolutely. no no harm can come from a learning team.
2: Well, yeah. If you're if you're truly interested in other people's world and you're willing to listen to learn, I think you're right. As long, I do say this though. As long as we keep punishment away from learning teams because we've seen people do that where they say we need you to be we want you to be open and honest and then people are open and honest and then they're like oh we didn't mean that honest right um so we have to make sure that people are ready to hear the true you know we talk about black line blue line right the blue line being reality we have to be willing to hear the real story of work uh i think that's something we kind of hold very important with with our work that we've done with learning teams is that if we say it's a safe place, it's got to be a safe place. Uh, if you think you need to punish somebody, don't do a learning team, right? Take them to HR, call Homeland Security, whatever. But don't don't use a learning team unless you just really want to learn. And we absolutely are going to find out some things in these learning teams that are going to be scary at times. But we ask people to be honest. And, oh, by the way, Brent, it's going on anyway. We just didn't know about it.
0: Well, that's we right. I mean, it's, it, it, it's going right? to be there. And, and, and if it's a... A really, really major event. The regulator is going to find it.
2: Yeah. So not knowing doesn't make yeah. us smarter or safer, oh. right? It, Todd says that all the time.
0: Yeah.
2: So yeah, better yeah. to oh. know and have some sort of course of action to try to make it better.
0: Yep. But you know, the reality is, um, uh, blame is by nature um, how we react ourselves in our own little head when something goes wrong for us. Mm-hmm. So blame. I, I don't think you know, from my point of view. Um, uh, when I make a mistake or make an error, my two little voices kick in, and my you know, first voice says Sutton, you know, you're better than this. You're know? <laughs> supposed to be professional. This is just, you know, this is crazy. And then that other voice, which I call my mother's voice kicks in and says, it's okay, son, everything will be better. What, what can you learn from this experience? So, so I think that that blame component is very natural in us. And, and like anything else, it's our ability to, um, I suppose, um, act in a bit more of an adult way, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Fair enough. Rather, but, but blame is a natural thing for us to move to. Yep. And yeah. we
2: even say that we don't, we don't say don't blame. We just say it doesn't fix anything. As a matter of fact, it, it hurts the conversation, right? Yeah. And it's not,
1: it's not strategic, right? So, so if we're, if we're looking to take strategic actions within a business, um, having the. The basis of those actions being wrapped around an emotional, emotionally satisfying action of blame is probably not going to be helpful for us in the long
2: run. So, if it was strategic, well, if Brent, if it was strategic, we could put metrics on it and say we need an increase in blame by twenty-five percent next semester. I mean, next quarter, right? So, our next quarter, (laughs) our stretch goal is twenty-five percent. Our super stretch goal is a forty percent increase in blame. Sure.
0: Don't we do those with things like suggestion boxes or, <laughs> sorry, the, the, the new term is opportunity for improvement boxes. Right. Yeah, don't, don't we do that already? We count that sort sure. of. And people we count. sure do, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: We, we do. We, we love a good metric. <laughs> um, and I think one of the things that we explored was this um, separation between organizational learning and worker learning. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, if we touch on that blame thing, the blame thing basically ends worker learning. Yeah. But it doesn't cost organizational learning, but the organization just won't get the depth of learning that they need.
1: I, I would say that the, the place where we see the organizational learning work the best is the place where we can draw conclusions based on real information, which as As you've stated and you know would likely agree with we actually need to make sure that we're learning directly from the workers well to do that right so we could pretend that we've got great organizational learning but it wouldn't be based on the depth of knowledge that we will have if we're able to to function in an environment where we're not using blame as a lens with which we have a conversation so
2: I had a plant manager say to me one time, they were on this beginning of this journey and they said, okay, but Bob, if we do a learning team, like, and we find something out, like people aren't doing exactly like we want them to, like after the learning team is over with, then can I call them in my office? (laughs) I said, sure. Once, right? I mean, one time, you can do it one time and then don't ever ask for it again because people are going to be, nope, not doing it. So it really is, uh, and, and you know, Todd says this. we, like it's, it is a strategic decision. Do we want to move our organization towards learn and improve? Or do we want to sort of rely on blame and punish? Cause they really are two different directions.
0: Yes, and, and, and the and value and learning, of learning happens at two different levels. And, and I think in all the times I've been doing investigations, uh, I, I used a piece of language Andrea called um, sort of humanistic investigations which was mm-hmm. understanding the effect that you are placing on a person during that process mm-hmm. and, and keeping it to the front of mind at all times. And yeah. uh, particularly when they are um, traumatic events where there's a bit of human misery in- involved, it's, it's really about um, having understanding that we don't want to re-traumatize a person through the experience. Right,
1: absolutely. And also making sure that we're in the discussion where we can be focused on the system, we're focused on the system as opposed to focus on, you know, small pieces of human action that may or may not vary the next time somebody does the task, right? So if we are hyper-focused on the details that happened at the moment an event occurred without recognizing that that same task, that same process has been done hundreds of times before and will be done hundreds or thousands of times in the future, and that there will be constant variability within that process, then we need to learn about what that looks like holistically, not just at the moment that we've had, you know, an event. Because understanding holistically, you know, we understand not only what isn't going well, but also what is going well, right, when we we haven't had an event occur. Um, Even being able to have the discussion that allows us to look at that wider lens makes people that were involved in event feel feel far less like they're on a hot seat of, um, you know, having to to answer for a specific set of micro actions that happened right, right at the time when event occurred, okay. as opposed to, you know, hearing the story of what it's like to do that process and that task holistically.
0: Which is interesting, because, the, you know, the basic principles of risk management is that, you can't do any evaluative or analysis until you've established the context. Mm-hmm. So what yeah, do we, we go, it so shocking yeah, we and go, surprising?
2: I know, right? But we go right in with those, those sort of a rearward look at the problem, and we just put people on the defensive immediately. Here's a litmus test for me, whether we're doing learning teams correctly or not. It's pretty simple. If people ask us to do them again. Yeah. I can tell you in my career, I was in the military for six years, three years, regular army, three years, national guard, an engineer, my the whole rest of my career, I've been an engineer. I have never one single time had somebody say to me, Bob, could you please come investigate us again? Yeah,
0: I really could enjoyed please come time. do an investigation
2: yeah. of my team, right? But you know, you're doing learning teams and you're doing them well when you have people saying things like, well, I wasn't so bad at all. And matter of fact, when, when can we do one again? Because we got another problem we need to work on or you have someone else say, Hey, how come I'm not on a learning team? Right? That's the sort of ground level conversations that we hear when we're doing these well. People want to be a and part
0: of them. You talk about the word trust, and something that we, we sort of talk about is that um, trust, trust can't be um, uh, uh, given, it has to build over time. Yeah. And I think one of the most important things around a learning team is that people feel valued they they feel that they um, are able to gain a voice. They might not have a voice to begin with, but they feel that over time, that they're able to gain a voice and that um, they'll be heard, they'll be listened. Um, uh, well, judge, judgment happens, but judgment in terms of of basically providing clarification or some critical thinking rather than judgment leading to blame that that judgment component all exist but it's about being valued and yeah. if you feel and valued over time that has that has to lead to some form of trust
1: and i i like your notion of building trust as you know bob says this all the time that it's you know it's actually very hard for us to trust um mm. but we can create an environment where being honest is easier to do.
0: And we get a disconnect um, because organization, because I think in a learning team, you can still have accountability and responsibility in a learning team.
2: Oh, I think you have way more accountability yeah. I mean, what is the true nature, the true, the true, and this is Andy's, defi- well, it's Webster's definition, right? It's actually it's Webster's kind of-
1: definition, which branches in your book as well, right? So, But it's,
2: it really is. It's people's willingness to give their account and to tell their story, right? That That is real accountability. We have so confused accountability with the word blame. I've got to hold people accountable. We don't get to hold people accountable. It's not something you can do to somebody. It's what You have to build an environment where people will be accountable. I've never seen so much accountability. When you have somebody look at you, Brent, and they say, so just being honest with you on third shift, we don't lock that thing out because it breaks down 20 times a night. We never make yeah. production. You you don't get better accountability than that. If you if – you, you couldn't pay people to be that accountable. And yet when you build an environment where they can be open and honest about their work, they're like – this piece of equipment gives us so much trouble at night, or trouble all the time. At nighttime, we would never get any production off this thing if we just shut it all the way down every time we had a, a problem. So, so now we're being open and honest. Now we need to do something about that. To your point, we've heard, right? So now we need to take action, and I think that can be a little scary too, Brent. I think sometimes it feels. I just did a learning team uh, last week as at a site. And one of the managers there was afraid that if we did a learning team around this process, that we would dump a ton of things on his desk that he has to go do. Right. It turned out that wasn't the case at all. They came up with three ideas, two mm-hmm. of them, the learning team can totally manage. Correct. Right. And yeah. so, yeah. So sometimes it's fear of the unknown or fear of like, Oh my word, we're going to unlock, um, we're going uh, un, like to dump a whole mess out on the floor here that we can't manage, but well, which could come be the about- case, but it's, yeah, sure. Okay.
0: But, but that's come about through corrective actions and investigations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've created the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's no different. I was at a, uh, a, a bagel manufacturer on um, Monday night on their night show. Nice. I, I can tell bagels? you.
2: You're talking about bagels that you
0: eat? Oh, yeah. Bagels? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I okay, you, but, so amazing. Absolutely oh, man, amazing. I mean, it really
2: right. s-
1: did it smell as good as I'm imagining it would smell? Uh, better.
0: A- and, the better. Bo- <laughs> and the box we left with. The bag oh, nice. we left with was even better nice. again. Nice. <laughs> yeah. um, and look, and they were saying the same thing. They they had had an incident that resulted in a worker being hurt, and uh, once again, um, typical thing that they felt the worker was trying to help out because what's happened with COVID nineteen, um, comfort foods, the need for comfort foods has ramped up. They're now operating twenty four by seven well wow. mm. they're having to hire lots of temporary people to get them through, and of course, their systems don't really support that environment weren't
2: designed to support it
0: no no and and you know most systems are brittle in, in, in that process and what was really interesting is that uh you know this this group of people um, had created some um, Uh, improvements to the process to get things happening but didn't realize that under certain conditions that could lead to something else that was a part of it but but the fact is um in the work that they do because making bagels there's still quite a bit of manual input Mm -hmm. these people are problem solvers yeah they spend their entire shift solving things
2: yeah
0: and they say well why didn't they tell us about it well why would they because they're problem solvers Yep, and in the book we talk about that notion called fix and forget. <laughs> yep. Why would you report something when when your job is problem solving? Yeah. Well, what was interesting is that they had they undertook an investigation. They had someone come in who who ran a an ICAM root cause, and sure enough, no. I'm reading twenty pages of information, and 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 the last page is full of the corrective actions. And I looked at it and I said. But the fundamental thing here is that the safety feature on the machine should allow the person to do that job without exposing them to the risk. And this report hasn't actually said that the safety feature is not the correct safety feature for that machine. That asking them that they have to clean this machine between batches, asking them to go through an eight step lockout tag out. When having a category three switch, when you lift the lid up, the machine is isolated. Which is a $200 fix versus I don't know how much time and effort's going to happen on doing all these corrective actions. That's just nuts. It's just mm-hmm. crazy.
1: And those types of things come up in learning teams all the time. And we're, you know, we're always trying to figure out ways to help describe what those look like and feel like. To people, of, of when you, you you find these discrepancies, and so oftentimes, you know, Bob and I will call them incompatibilities. We've got some sort of incompatibility between the the design and the logical way to function within that design. And um, when when they're around something critical like a like a safety switch, it can be a, a large incompatibility, right? Something that can have a pretty catastrophic consequence if we're not able to not able to do something about it. But but the crazy yeah, so. part
0: was, um, what this report didn't identify is that, uh, what was the purpose of these corrective actions? It was just a whole series of statements, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't say, what's their purpose? A- a- yeah. And I asked them, um, looking at each corrective action, is that action focusing on, on influencing the hazard? Or is it action about influencing the person? Mm-hmm. And that's that, a
1: great exercise to go through, right? Because it, yeah, it really, it, really it, helps people see if we're trying that. to, yeah, trying to fix the system problem or if we think we have a person problem, and it helps Correct. us kind of clarify that thought process. And, 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 every
0: action was person-based. I believe it, yeah. But I said, yeah. but the machine caused the harm, <laughs> right? Brilliant, right. yeah, yeah. Yep. So, what's in here that's going to stop the machine causing harm? Um, and you know, the, the irony is that they're now not having to write now these 400 SOPs on that machine because you don't need an SOP if the function of the machine allows you to lift a lid and it isolates. Right. Yeah,
1: sense?
0: absolutely. And if the safety feature is fault tolerant, which means that, you know, if it fails, the machine can't work. Wait, wait, no what people. is that?
2: What is, what's the QE term for that? Flop uh, tolerant? Uh, fault, uh, fault
0: tolerant? Yeah, fault tolerant.
2: Yeah. False False tolerant. tolerant. Oh, I thought I had a new, yeah. So it's very safe. Yeah. So So the Aussies, the Aussies, you guys know this, right? They have got cool nicknames for everything. So I was looking for a New Zealand cool, so I thought you said flop tolerant. I thought, now that's a
0: cool uh, name. But no, we, we try not to. We, we try to stick to the Queen's English. Oh, yeah. the Queen's, nice. <laughs>
2: uh, Bob, you can start saying that, though.
1: You can start saying flop tolerant. and <laughs> we'll, flop see, we'll see yeah, how yeah, quickly it I catches on. I heard on. it, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brent told us it was flop tolerant. <laughs> well, it, it is, it is. It, and that's the other thing, um, that, that workers, we should use the dialogue that workers use when describing hazards and risks.
2: Oh man, Brent, I'd give you a hug right now if I was you know, not restricted <laughs> by COVID-19 and on the other side of the world. The, 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 I've, man, I've had this conversation so many times where um, that, you know, people want to use, like maybe they have a PhD or a master's or whatever and they want to use like really technical words that aren't common, like I'm a maintenance manager. So, so when you're talking to my maintenance crew, uh, let's just talk, how we talk right it's important right the the local way we talk about work let's just talk about it because otherwise we're going to be seen as I don't know what the right word is disingenuous or just or just
1: there's an illusion of communication right because because one person saying something and the other person is not fully understanding it because we're speaking you know even though we're speaking in the same actual language we're actually speaking two different languages right we've and um yeah, well, we call That's it gonna become a really big problem. <laughs> really big problem quickly.
0: Right. No, we, we call it safety literacy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, because you know, diversity, and when we say diversity, we're not just talking ethnic, we're talking cultural, beliefs, a whole raft of things. Mm-hmm. Diversity is normal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we need to use common language that relates to people that do the work yep. to overcome those issues. Yep. Because um, you know, in the work that we do, uh, we, we believe that literacy numeracy is a really important factor around people's um, ability to, to to gain learning. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And there's no connection between a person's intelligence and their ability to comprehend or to read or to take information on board.
2: Or to use big words.
0: Or do you speak, well, big and you know, safety loves big words. <laughs> yeah. And
2: so does the, so I'm an engineer, so does engineering, so we yeah. can pick on us too. Yeah. But oh no,
0: no. I I I um I recently read the uh the new simplified technical English language that came out from the military and aviation authorities, which reduced <laughs> the uh, uh dictionary from thirty-three thousand words down to ten thousand words. So congr- I can glad
1: somebody's got a handle on it, Brent. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But but what we discovered is that um in, in many countries, the, the average reading and comprehensive level is about seven years of age, mm. which means there's only 1,000 words. So well, I'm not too if, sure, Bob, where the other 9,000 engineering words have gone.
2: Yeah, they're, <laughs> I, I can show you a list of them. But So, so yeah. what's interesting, too, is like when we do learning teams, speaking of like language, when we do learning teams, I was doing one with a team that all were Hispanic workers on wellheads, and I realized that we were translating, because I don't know much Spanish. I know a little bit, but not enough to lead a learning team. They would translate everything I was saying, and then they would talk and translate back. And I'm like, wait, 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 time out. I said to my co-facilitator, who was a hop advocate at that side, mm-hmm. I said, you're bilingual. You just lead the conversation. You guys just talk in Spanish. And then it, you know, let me know occasionally what you're talking about just because I'm curious. And the conversation turned into a much richer conversation because they weren't worried about how do we translate this for Bob because I don't matter. what mattered was that they have that rich conversation and it made way more sense to have it in the language that they speak most fluently. And the wall of discoveries as we call it right the flip charts on the wall, the the guy that was writing the notes in Spanish, they told me what it said, but the but it it became it was just much more right it became much more comprehensive and much yeah. more uh, Sort of and that took upstairs. us a bit
1: to to figure out I mean working in different places you know the people will normally supply you if you go to a, a company they'll be like, they'll bring you uh, somebody who can translate for you yes. and the, which is lovely, but the difficulty was is we realized that we were losing so much in translating back and forth that instead our mission became to try to help people who were very very comfortable in multiple languages understand hop concepts and understand how to facilitate learning teams so they could facilitate it you know with us being there to to catch them if they fall sure. but 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 not you know to try to have us do the facilitation because um
2: More
0: of that com-
1: comprehension is really important right making sure that we are actually communicating and actually learning you know between ourselves as the team as well as things that we can bring to the organization it's it's um kind of the whole point, right? So,
0: well, it's, look, a, a lot of words don't translate. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. um, down the stick of the woods, the whole concept of zero harm has been a big push, but zero doesn't exist in many Asian cultures.
2: So we also, yeah. what does zero harm mean? Yeah.
0: Well, what it actually means, if you translate it into Mandarin, it means get hurt.
2: <laughs> We're gonna have some big posters out there that say,
0: get hurt. <laughs> yeah, Well, that, that's the rather, the, I thought that was the ironic part of it because zero doesn't exist, <laughs> yeah. but zero doesn't exist in Roman numerals either. So the English language, it, it actually got brought in later on. So many cultures, uh, so I suppose that this supports what you're saying, um, Andrea, is that, that um, when we put load on a worker, when we impose a process on a worker, mm-hmm. we lose all that narrative that's so important mm-hmm. from a learning team perspective. Uh, it's no different. I, I had someone with me, and, and they said, you know, "I want to record it."
2: Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> why?
0: why? Oh, I want to use sticky notes. And, and we had this. Uh, we had this interesting conversation about um, the, the role of the facilitator is to take the load. Mm-hmm. We want the them people the participating to have all that f- we call it free range. There we go. That, that's mm-hmm. a that little thing. We want them. We don't want to be caged tins. We want them to be free range. Yep, I like it. So, if you think about the tools that you traditionally use, you have to ask yourself: Does that place load on the worker, or on the participants of the learning team? And if it does, don't do it. Yep. Yeah. And really one, of the,
1: one of the one of the ways, sort of early on, that that Bob and I experimented with um, bringing bringing the two worlds together, meaning that the world of, of organizational requirements, like you must use this tool, you, you must fill out this form with um, how do we actually operationally learn and, you know, in, a, in an effective way. And the great part is that you can operationally learn and then use that information to fill in whatever form or whatever tool you're required to fill out. And sometimes in the process of doing that as a facilitator, kind of, you know, off to the side, it it does give you an aha moment of, you know, I I really should ask about this area that this tool says that we didn't get any information on. But most of the time, you're just taking a plethora of information that you've learned and sort of reconfiguring it to fit into whatever the organization sort of requires as as an output or an investigation tool which is helpful in in being able to merge the concept of a learning team with things that we're already doing rather than feeling like you have to kind of rewrite everything you do and replace everything with a learning team it's just no it's it helps augment what we do by making sure that we have um, really holistic helpful information from multiple points of view to populate whatever we need to populate as well as to come up with um, with ideas once we've had a really good understanding of what the problem is.
2: Absolutely. Some regulators, some regulators are still requiring very specific formats, but now what they're getting is that very specific format with a whole lot more context. And so they don't even hardly know how this is happening sometimes, but they're, they're liking what they see. Wow. That's a much better understanding of that. They still want it in the Y tree format or the, right? Or the yeah, bow tie or, or whatever. whatever,
0: right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, they still want those things. But look, that'll take time to develop. Um, and, and look, I always find it um, interesting that uh, we'll always use some form of framework or tool. That's always going to be how we're going to act as people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember years ago, I don't know if you've listened to any of P- P- Professor Drew Ray, but but Drew basically said mm-hmm. that you, you need to You need to apply two or three different techniques to get the best result. One technique can 't do it you 're only ever going to get a small range
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and this whole notion that that we want people to t- uh, share their stories, share their narrative through that whole brainstorming component is really important. Um, but then we need to be able to try and narrow in and and i don 't know how you felt, but in the book. We actually talked about how to use root cause as uh, an assurance tool
2: mm-hmm.
0: by being able to get clarification around that narrative or, or, or the fact that we identified um, that there was this concept of um, latent knowledge that exists with people mm-hmm. and that if you can't do an alignment, it can't come out. It's wanting to jump out, but until someone can connect to it, they're not going to come out with it because... That's that's just not how we think about it as humans. How did those sort of things sort of resonate with you guys?
1: So the, the idea of being able to use multiple tools to reorganize information and look at it in a different way is obviously extremely clever, right? And and Drew Ray is an extremely clever guy as well. So oh. we get the honor of, you know, meeting him I think just once or twice, Bob, but every I remember almost everything he said because he's he's uh he's got some really great thoughts around this. In in the book, I do like the prompting questions that that sort of thought process led you to. If you know, we, we have this information that, that would be hard for people to connect the dots around. And so here's a way to sort of think through it so that we can make sure to grab that information if it exists. Um, and in terms of even using like a tool like Five Whys to organize information for that prompting reason or even in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with a five-wise tool, as long as we know what part of our system to be using it for. So you know, something that's linear like that works really well in all of the ordered parts of our system, right? So you're gonna learn, in the context of the discussion, you're gonna learn about physical things that work in the system, and for sure, understanding and having a linear analysis of how something fails that is a, you know, a physical piece of machinery in that discussion is extremely beneficial. Um, so as long as we're not applying you know, an entire context into a, we're not trying to take a you know, square peg and shove it into a round hole or you know, vice versa. We're just taking pieces of the narrative and plugging them into sense-making models or frameworks that allow us to understand you know, more of that context or have, have other questions to ask that we maybe might not have gotten there with, without having some sort of tool to look at. So, yeah.
0: Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the Community Practice of Learning Teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com